So when Christ becomes center of our lives, give me some specifics about work life, recreation life, home life, some of those areas, how it's specifically going to change things. How we're going to look different than people who don't have Christ at the center. Yes, the word keeps coming to my mind is convenience. You know, we we just can't live a lifestyle of convenience. We have to be, as, as Zane said, about the Father's business. And sometimes that means we have to exclude other plans. And we have to be available for people, for life group, for, you know, uh, events that we have here. Uh, for just meeting someone for lunch that we may have something else we want to do because that takes precedence in our lives. And, and until we realize that convenience cannot be a part of the Christian walk uh, 24-7 like most of us live today, then we're, we're never, it's always going to be based on if I have nothing else to do. And we cannot live that kind of lifestyle and really be a child of, of of God, you know, some things are just a matter of convenience, and so I think you have to you have to be uh, intentional about the way that we live our lives. Uh, you know, if you look at the life of Jesus, his ministry spanned only about three years, and during that time, he was very focused on what he needed to do. He knew what his purpose was, and he lived his life every day in reflection of that. I know for me, in my workplace, I know. When I'm straining, I know I've taken control. If I'm straining at work with what I do, I know I have taken over the reins. And so I want to do a good job of what I do, but it's got to be within the confines of how the Lord wants me to do it, the time that I put into it. It can't, it can't be my God, so I've got to cut back to a certain point. And you, you can pretty much know when you've overstepped and it's become more important to you, to you than just a means of paying your bills and taking care of your family. We, we, we're, not, we're not working for men, we're working for God. And he, we, we're going to be responsible and accountable to him for how we do, how we spend our time, and if we, we work right. We have to uh, be conscious that we are representing Christ all the time. So the way we <clears throat> conduct ourselves in business, the way we treat our clients, uh, co-workers, employees, uh, everything we do is observed by someone and can reflect on our walk of faith. And if we aren't careful, we'll forget that. Like Jim was saying, when Jesus is priority number one, um, work takes care of itself. And when he's not, then I struggle at work and things aren't peaceful. And so <laughs> there's a bit of a, a benefit uh, for each of us, you know, in every aspect of our life to have Jesus' first priority and no close second. I tend to, if I'm not careful, I'll let second place take over. And that's, that's a struggle, I think, for a lot of us. But when, when we have Jesus first and no close second priority, um, only Jesus, then all those other things seem to take care of themselves. And I think what we see out of that is a joy and a peace in our work life that is very difficult, if not impossible, to, gain, to have any other way.
the way we treat others comes more naturally and all that seems to just fall into place like like we're taught in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be given to you. I can tell by looking at y'all that y'all are ready to chant. Right? Y'all ready to chant? Yeah. We're going to chant, he's number one. This is going to be our chant. Y'all ready? I'm not playing. I know you think I am. I'm not kidding. I mean, we're about to chant right now before I get loud and off the hook. All right, so we're going to chant, he's number one. Y'all ready? He's number one. He's number one. He's number one. One more time. All right, all right, all right. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Now, what we had, we had some chanting. Now, we had some great, uh, some excellent non-expression going with it. So I love that. Because that's always what makes a chant really good is when you're chanting, he's number one, and your face is like a robot. It's like blank. And fortunately, there was almost nobody doing the fist pump at the same time. He's number one. There was fortunately nobody really doing that. So we're going to try that again. We're going to have a little bit of life in our face, and we're going to do the fist pump. Y'all ready? Yeah, I can tell. Okay. Three of y'all coming with me. Let's go. He's number one. He's number one. He's number All right, good, 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 good. All right, good, all right. Now, I tell you, you know, we're nervous about that. And this is usually when like a preacher type says, you know, we cheer ball games, but we don't do it at church. The reason we don't do it at church is because we weren't raised like that. I mean, it's just cultural. That's really the only reason. The truth is, if every single week I came in here and had us saying uh, uh, he's number one, we'd be fine, right? We'd be fine. We'd get used to it, and we'd do it. And we're just not used to doing that. But we ought to do it because people are saying we're number one all the time who've got, like, no business saying we're number one. Like, look at this, look at this picture of these foam fingers right here. They sell these online. You know what? They're not doing a single background check on this. Not a single background check. I know this is true because I watch football and sometimes I'll watch teams that not only are they not ranked, they've never even been ranked. I didn't even know these teams existed. But there are people in the stands with stuff like this on and they're chanting and shouting, we're number one. We're number one. I'm like, what? You're not even ranked. We don't know you exist. How in the world? How are you You chanting we're number one? Now, by the end of the game, when like they're getting their eyes just beat out and it's like 70 to nothing, they don't look like they're number one anymore except for that guy with the hard hat on with the cup holders and like the, the tubes that are going to his mouth. He's still shouting it. But everybody else is like, dude, you just need to sit down because by then there's evidence that they're not number one. It's just evidence. Well, we want to be number one. We love being first. And that's everywhere you look, there's stuff like world's best. Have you seen these mugs? World's best dad. World's best mom. World's best grandma. World's best grandpa. Listen, I'm mad about that. We need to cut that out. Because I know that the world's best grandma and granddad are B.B. and Papa Tim. So why in the world are they even publishing these things? It doesn't even make sense. So they've got stuff like this, no background check. You can just order it, and it's fine. So if we're going to be number one, this next section of Colossians tells us how to be number one. 
So Colossians chapter one, if you've got your Bible, I don't think a single verse is going to be on the screen. So you'll have to look it up or listen up. So as we look at in him, uh, buddy's lesson last week was about everyone. That was like the key phrase. The key phrase in these first 15 verses is in him. We become number one in him. That's how we get the right to say we're number one because he's number one and we're in him. We get to be number one too. That's why even sadly that the national championship left the state of Alabama, but that's why people in the stands that were Alabama fans or our Alabama fans got to shout for years, we're number one. Auburn fans got to say we're number one, but nobody questioned them. Nobody went, hey, you're not on the field. Why are you shouting we're number one? Because I'm a fan I'm associated with. So here the passage talks about that when we're in him, guess what? We get to be number one. Let's look at these first five verses. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea. Now this is written to the Colossians, but Laodicea is about 11 miles away. And all of these, these books of the Bible and New Testament were circulated between the churches so that people would know what was going on, what, what the teachings were, what the doctrine was. So he says, I've struggled for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. But though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ. So this first opening section of the second chapter, he knows, Paul knows what they're up against. He knows they're up against the Gnostics, those who basically say you get to be your own God. You get to, to claim yourself. You don't get to say that he's number one and we're number one because of him. We, we say, I'm number one. So he says, I want you to be careful with that. I'm striving for you. And even if I'm not able to come personally, I want you to know that you're in my prayers, you're in my thoughts, that you're on my mind. And that's important for this church at Laodicea to see that. Because they could be like, hey, church at Colossae, they got their own letter. We're just 11 miles out. We didn't get a letter. So Paul's including them. He's letting them know that they're a big part of the mission. They're a big part of what it means to actually be in Christ. And so he says, I want to make sure that you understand that. And I want you to have your eyes open to know that there's going to be all kinds of good sounding arguments for you to follow after. Because when you're listening to somebody teach, if they're confident, you kind of tend to believe it and not study it and not look it up. And at that time, the Gnostics were confident. They believed that they were right. And so when the arguments came in, everybody was like, you know what? That sounds good. Sounds good. So he says, I want you to be on guard. And the way that we do this is that we become part of him. And this next section, he really uses a tree to give us a good visual of this in this first part. And if you'll take your outline out, that bottom blank says chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, but it's really going to be 1 through 7. So cross that 6 out and put a 7 in there, really 7a. So let's look at verse 6 and 7. So then, just as you've received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught. So your first blank there is rooted. Another word there that we might think about is solid. 
He says, I want you to be rooted in Christ. Because if you're not, when something comes along that sounds good, you're going to blow over. It's going to push you over. You're not going to be able to withstand it. You're not going to be able to take the storm. You're not going to be able to take the winds. Now, fortunately, I've got a low center of gravity, but that doesn't mean that there aren't winds that come along in my life that can't take me down. One of the things that we forget when we're reading the word is that we tend to read it very individualized so that we'll read chapter two in Colossians and we'll start thinking, well, what's this, what's this mean to me? What's the answer for me? We're number one. It's a collective And this book was not written to one individual, it was written to a church body. So when he says, I want you to be rooted, he's not saying, Paul, I want you to be rooted alone. I want you to be rooted. This is, even though I've got a picture of a single tree here, it's really a grove. It's really the church. So if I'm going to be rooted, if I'm going to be secure, I've got to have others around me that help me be secure. All right, I'm going to call some names and you are going to come up on stage with me. All right? Alvin McQueen, come on up on stage, Alvin. Pat Gregory, come up on stage. Ed Starkey, come on up on stage. Kevin Thrash, come on up, Kevin. Yeah, and he was like, oh, he was looking off. He had the look of like, if I don't make eye contact, I won't get called. I've seen that. I used to do that in school. It didn't work then either. All right, this is my team. (laughs) This is my team. You know what I'm talking about? All right. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand behind my team. Y'all come on up here, fellas. All right. Now, any of y'all that think you can, I want y'all to come get me. Just one at a time. One of y'all that thinks you can get through my team to get me, y'all just come on up. Now, guys, I'm going to move to the back room. I'm going to leave y'all on stage alone, and y'all guard me. Can y'all do that? Huh? No, I'm not going to move the back room. No, you're not going to the back room with me. I'm t- how many of y'all think I chose a good team? Raise your hand. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. That's it. That's all y'all had to do. Everybody didn't raise their hand. Some of y'all were worried about Ed, thought he might be the weak link, but he's not. He's not. Listen, I was purposed in that, right? I was purposed in my team. Y'all saw that team and nobody came up. And even some of you fellas that kind of think you're tough, you didn't come up. You, you know how to count. And you're like, those are some big men, some strong men. That's right. He says, I want you rooted. I want you rooted. Because the storms are coming. Listen, if little Paul Evans is out there in the storm alone, it's not going to go too well. But if I know who I'm going to call when the storm comes, guess what? The entire game changes. That's why he says, I'm writing to you as a body. Because the game changes. So that when we're down or we're out or we're depressed or we feel alone and we don't think we can make it, we've got the team that we know who to call. We need to stop sitting around wondering, you know, when things aren't going right, what are we going to do? We should right now, we should plan our rooted team. We should have like a to call list at the house. Our 911 list of folks we call when things aren't going right for encouragement. We don't need to sit there at home going, nobody call me and encourage me. 
I posted something pitiful on Facebook. Why nobody caught? I posted nobody even, nobody even made a comment. In fact, I got some likes. They like that I'm depressed. I said, skip that. Have your call list. Call people up. Surround yourself. Now, remember those guys, too, as we move into this next uh, section. Because when we're talking about being rooted, we're talking about being strong. And I chose the big guys. And, and when I think about rooted and strong, you know, when we think about a tree, we think about the mighty. Y'all knew. Mighty oak. In my yard, I don't have a, a yo- uh, oak, an oak, a yoke. I don't have an oak. I don't have, we live in a subdivision that's like kind of newer and there's like no big trees. I've got a, a willow tree. That's not a man's tree. <laughs> to make it even worse, it's called a, a weeping willow. It didn't get much more sissy than that. Listen, let's not surround ourselves with the weeping willows in our life. Right? Let's get some mighty oaks. Y'all saw my mighty oaks a minute ago. Let's look at, at verses 7 and, and 8. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So your first word was rooted, your second word is built in him. Your first word associated with rooted was solid, your word associated with built is strong, strong. It's important we're focusing on what is going to make us strong in life. Now I had my brothers surround me and they were strong. But that doesn't mean that I'm allowed to be weak. Just because I've got strength surrounding me does not mean that I go, don't go about the business of getting strong and being able to lift life on my own at times when it's needed. Because everybody's not always available, right? So that means that I've got to be out there training. I've got to be out there exercising. I've got to be out there eating right in order to become strong, in order to become built in him. Now, I was at the gym this week. I, I don't usually pray before I go to the gym, but I knew I was going in to do some cardio. I'm going to do some cardio. I'm not a cardio person. I like to lift things. I don't like to run. And especially I don't like to run inside on a machine that moves under my feet. There's something about that just seems odd. But I went in. There was a blessing. I don't know if y'all can all see this on the screen, this blessing I received. Out of order. <laughs> it said out of order. I was pumped. I was pumped. I'm like, Lord, I hear thee. I, have no, I will not have to run today. I can solely lift things today. I was pretty excited. But then I looked around the room. Guess what? They got dozens. They got dozens of these machines. This doesn't make any sense to me. The dozens of these machines, but another blessing. Every single machine had this sign on it. Every one of them. Every one of them. It says stop. It said stop. Listen, I'm obedient. I'm obedient. I didn't get on that thing. It said stop. And somebody told me later, that's like in case of emergency, you pull that little quick link out and it stops it on its own. But all I know is it said stop. There's another button on there that says quick start. I don't know what that was for. That didn't make any sense. But that stop button, I knew it. I knew what that meant. So if I'm always in life looking for an excuse, if I'm always seeing out of order, if I'm always seeing stop, I'm never going to become strong, ever. 
If I've always got a reason in life to not keep going, if I've always got a reason in life to not open up the word, if I've always got a reason in life not to show up on some Sundays, if I've always got a reason in life not to go to class, if I've always got a reason not to be in an ABC group or a life group or whatever group, I've just got a reason. You know, I'm choosing, I'm choosing to stay weak. I'm choosing that. It's a choice. Nobody forced me to stay weak. I've decided. So that means that I don't have a right to complain when I wonder why I'm not strong. Because there's evidence of what produces strength. There's exercises, there's diets of what produces strength. So that's what he's writing here. He says that when we're in the word, when we're in God's word, we become rooted, become solid. We become built, we become strong. You think about Psalm 119 when it says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you. Yeah. That's what the word does. That's why he's saying we got to be bound up in this mystery, which is Christ. And I want your knowledge. I want your knowledge to expand, to be deep, to be strong. Because the storm's coming. But it's still our decision, right? So let's look at this next section. Verses 9 through 12. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised. In the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So he says, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be built. And I want you to be full. I want you to be full. I don't want there to be a a, a need or a lack. I want you to be full. I want your tree to be large and full and expressive. I want it to have size. So there's your key word along with full. It's size. I want it to be full. The branches to be big. The leaves to be thick. So you'll be full in him. And we become number one. But when I think of full, I don't just think like of a big tree. I think of, I think of full. I think of eating. How many of y'all are hungry right now? Just thought I'd mention that to make it worse. You know, when we eat, we love to eat. We love to become full. I was looking around at just different things uh, this week because um, I'm, I'm actually doing something. I don't know if y'all have even noticed this. I don't know if y'all noticed. But I just preached a few weeks ago, and I don't know if y'all have noticed, but since then, I've lost like a quarter pound. Like a whole, y'all may not even picked up on this, but a whole quarter pound. And so this week... I really wanted to have an enormous moment of weakness because at Starbucks, they've got like some chocolate muffins filled with caramel. Has anybody seen these? Has anybody consumed one? Raise your hand big. No, a one. We should go get one is what I'm thinking. I mean, when I looked at this, when I just saw it, I, I saw it, I thought, I probably should eat that. It looks so good. And I was not worried about my diet at all. And then I thought, let me scroll down this page because I was on like Starbucks website. And they had what's called the, yeah, the nutritional information. Serving size nutritional information. One muffin. 
was like a kajillion calories. It sent me straight into the depression. And I thought, man, I can't eat that because of the nutritional value. And when we look at nutritional values on most of the labels today, it's off the charts. I don't know how many of you are fans of Brian Reagan, who's a comedian, but he talks about serving sizes. So let's watch a little clip from him. Oh, so my doctor, he told me to watch what I'm eating, told me to read food labels. I'm in a store reading the Fig Newton's label. I've always liked Fig Newtons. I'm trying to see if it's okay to eat them, and everything looked fine, the fat content, everything. I looked at the serving size, two cookies. I ate Fig Newtons by the sleeve. Two sleeves is a serving size. I open them both and eat them like a tree chipper. Fig Newton shavings coming off the side. Then I put a Newton catcher and empty that bag out as a snack. I'm talking about two Fig Newtons. They're the size of a poaching stamp. You want another one? Oh, I don't know. I've already had two whole entire Fig Newtons. Maybe I could try to muscle one more down, but I don't think I'm going to... Mmm, I'm stuffed with the rafters. They're nuts. We got an ER here. We got a three-fig Newton eater. How many did he have? What is he, nuts? Doesn't he read? Two fig Newtons. I mean, that's insane. Two fig Newtons. But we treat our spiritual life like it's two fig Newtons when we look at our servant size. Even, even today or sometimes in church, we're like... I can't, I can't push down one more note on this page. I can't fill down one more blank. I can't take any more Bible. Our servant sizes often are tiny when it comes to God's word. Tiny when it comes to prayer. Tiny when it comes to time in with the body. Our servant size is often minuscule. It's tiny. read my verse for the day our verse is that our serving size I said my prayer singular is that our serving size listen I went I went in there that auditorium and I'm going to a class now that's just ridiculous buddy's gone off the off the hook he's off the chain trying to make me attend more than that that's what's wrong I had my serving size I stayed all the way through the invitation. I usually leave early. When he says that we're going to be number one in him, he wants us to have a fullness. And we don't get full off a verse. And we don't get full off a single prayer. And we don't even get full off a meeting a week that's like an hour or hour and 15 minutes. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough. We can't be full off of that. And we can't be built off of that. And we can't be rooted off of that. It can't happen. It's not enough. And life is too hard to be minimalist spiritually. Life's too rough to do just enough. Or to check the list. Or to read the verse. He says, I want it to be full. I want my life to be about you, about me, in you. 
I want you to want to get in, in my word. And I want you to want to talk to me. And I want you to want to want to show up with my people. Because I'm on staff, I get to see a lot of like the behind the scenes stats. And I think we publish most of them. But here's just a fact. It's like at the beginning of a quarter when new classes are announced. It's like that first Sunday. It's like it's packed in there. Everybody's like, new class, new quarter. I'm going to do it this time. I'll make it. I like that topic. That topic seemed pretty good. We go to class. But you know what? By the end of the quarter, do you think there's the same number in class or you think it's decreased? All right, I'm going to do a quick poll. How many says same number? How many say decreased? Look at that. Look at that. Decreased is big. There's one number that really doesn't change much in this church. It's RSVP. Their numbers are like the same every week. And it doesn't matter. Why do you think that is? They, they say they need it. And many of my brothers and sisters are in there. And I look at them and I think, you know what? They need the word to survive. And I don't act like that. I don't act like I've got a habit to survive. I, I like just a little tiny serving size. So I, I can snack a little bit and feel like, you know, I got some of the word. And their numbers don't change. Because it's a have to and it's a, a want to and it's a, a better or there could be a negative consequence. So I'm being a little hard on us this morning. I'm being hard on me. Because I don't always have that spirit of, if I don't eat the word, if I don't get this meal in the word, I'm not going to survive. I can often have a snack and feel okay. But that doesn't say that he's number one. And it doesn't say that we're number one, right? He's called us so much more than that. And he has the right to do that. Let's look at this next section. Starting in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see that bottom section where it talks about our debt. Back in that day, they literally received a debt certificate that the debtor had to write in their own hand. And they had to keep it on their person. So they were always reminded of the debt that they owed. And the person that they were the servant of at any time could say, hey, let's pull out your debt. Let's see where you are. Let's see how much you owe. It's one thing that I get a mortgage in the mail every month. It's another thing if I have to write down the amount of that mortgage every month. Now, I write the payment, and that's painful enough. But if I had to write down every month how much was owed, that is like not major excitement for me. That's a reminder. He says, I want you to write down. I want you to write down that debt. He says, nailing it to the cross. So in that blank this morning, I want you to write down your debt. Your debt, not physical debt, not like how much you owe. We don't have time for that. But how much you owe in the spirit or what you feel like your biggest debt that's been forgiven. 
has been. So look at that last blank there. I'll write mine down too. Maybe the thing that you're most ashamed of or the thing that you wish you'd never done or the thing right now that you're wrestling with, whatever it is. That thing in our handwriting. He says, I want to take that and I want to nail that to the cross. I want to take that pain or that burden or that darkness or that, that weight. I want to nail that to the cross. He says, I can do it because I'm number one. Number one, I've got the right. I died. I'm the controller of the nails. I'm the controller of the hammer. And I'm the one who has the right to nail that to the cross, to say that that debt is completely forgiven. And the truth is, until that debt's forgiven, we don't feel like we have a right to be rooted, to be solid. We don't feel like we have a right to be built, to be strong. We don't feel like we have a right to be full, to be of size. But when he nails that to the cross and the debt's been forgiven, we not only have every right, we have an obligation. We have a responsibility to be in him. Maybe you've got a debt this morning that you want to come up and you want to get some prayers for. Or maybe as scripture said this morning, you've not been baptized yet and you want to come and wash every sin away. The cool thing is he doesn't block anybody from coming to him. And from entering into him. No, no one. No one's refused. And so whether you want to be prayed over this morning. Or whether you want to come to him for the first time. And claim him as your savior. We literally get to chant. He's number one. And we get to add. We're number one. Because of his power. If you've got any need this morning. Why don't you come while we stand and sing together.